All right, you can find your seat. And find in your Bible, 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, and today we'll be looking at verses 5 through 10. Now suppose I was a doctor and I uh, was an ER doctor, and someone was wheeled into the emergency room, and I was in charge of finding out if this person was alive or not. Okay, and so I go into this person's, uh, go up to this person, and instead of checking for the normal signs of life, I went and grabbed his wallet, grabbed his, get inside his briefcase, and start rifling through all these papers. The other doctors are going, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to see if this guy's alive. But what is that, why are you rifling through his, his belongings? Well, I mean, the way that you tell if someone's alive is you check their birth certificate, see if they were ever born, right? Now, that's a silly illustration, but sadly, we have responded that way when people have asked whether or not we have spiritual life. We don't show signs of life, like First John, like John is telling us here in his epistle. We often go back to what we once did, don't we? Our spiritual birth certificate. We show them the inside of our Bible and say, see, this is where I got saved on this date, at this time, by this person. And because I did, then I know that I'm saved. But John says that is not the way that we determine whether or not we have received the grace of God at all. Now, I don't want, I don't want to be unclear here. Obviously, when God saves us, we are saved. We are secure. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Because the Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can pluck them out of his hand. You see, when you are saved, you are eternally saved. But the way in which you show the proof of your salvation is not to go back to what you once did. Because then what, what are we trusting in ultimately? We're trusting in what we did rather than in what God did on our behalf. And so John gives us, as, as you know from the study, we are, we're trying to find how we can check our spiritual pulse. How can we know for sure that we are a believer? Can we? John makes it very clear that we can. And so let's begin reading in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, when God saves a person from sin, 
he gradually but certainly changes him. And that is why John can say, the test or the proof of spiritual life is not what you once did. It's what are you doing. Because if God saved you, He will change you. And we know that's true from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, He who began a good work in you, salvation, will continue it or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, sanctification. If God has done a work in you, He will continue. So the proof of our salvation is not our spiritual birth certificate. In fact, many people have phony spiritual birth certificates, don't they? Jesus said in Matthew, uh, I believe it's chapter 7, He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Meaning, Jesus, you are my master. Did I not fill in the blank, do all these things in your name? And what will Jesus say to them? To many people who have the birth certificate in their hands. I know I'm a believer. What will he say to them? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. The proof was not on, on, uh, based on their spiritual birth certificate. It was based on what God was doing in their lives. And that's the same thing for us. We have to check our spiritual pulse based on, on our response here, John says, that our response to sin. And the true testimony of a person's spiritual life is evident by their walk in the true light. And so John gives for us in verses 5 through 10 um, his purpose in writing. And he basically says that the true believer reflects the true light by avoiding and exposing darkness. A true believer reflects the true light by avoiding and exposing darkness. The true light we see there in verse 5. God is that true light. Look at verse 5 with me. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This is another statement of God's character, as John has already talked about God and his greatness in the first four verses of the chapter. Now he, he says that God is light. And we know from John's epistle and also from later on in 1 John that John calls God spirit as well. John 4.24, he's talking to the woman, Jesus is talking to the woman at, at the well, and he tells her, God is spirit and you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's one testimony by John, or assertion by John in his writings. And then in chapter 4 of 1 John, he says that God is love. This is basically the idea that this is what makes up God, makes God who he is, that he is love. And in this case, in our passage, he is light. So John is not saying that God has light or even that he gives light, although that's true. But rather, he says, notice, God is light. God is light. He is not just that he created light. Rather, he is the uncreated light. He is the source of light. John says he is light. Well, what is this idea? What is this referring to? Well, light is the idea of perfection. Can you think of any other figure in the universe that more clearly represents um, two contrasts 
light and darkness. Usually you have light, either light, or you have darkness. That's usually the way we think of it. So when we think that God is light, John is trying to explain that God is, is pure, he is perfect. How much more clear can God be? And the clearest representation of our Father is through his Son, Jesus Christ. We have many representations of God. We have, obviously, we have creation. We have the scriptures. But the best representation of God, as I said last week, was his Son, Jesus Christ, who he calls himself in John chapter 8 and verse 12, the light of the world, right? I am the light of the world. So, Still, this doesn't quite get it. Is it just, does it just mean that God is perfect? What is this idea of light? Well, I would suggest to you that it's moral goodness. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I think Paul helps us to explain this. He helps to answer this question for us. What does it mean that God is light? Ephesians chapter 5 And let's begin in verse 5, and we'll read through verse 10. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or or, uh, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So for the believer, we are, according to Paul's writing here, we are supposed to reflect the light by, notice in verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, We notice in verse 9 that the fruit of the light, the response that we should have because of the light that that is shown within us, is that it consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I think this is the best idea of this, this, uh, this passage in 1 John. Turn back to 1 John, chapter 1. So since God is light, the light... Uh, that God is determines the basis why, by which we can have fellowship with Him. You see, we don't, we don't generate our own light. We don't generate our own perfection or goodness or righteousness or truth, do we? Our light is actually a reflection from God. So, John is saying, as we'll see later, that there can be no spiritual light or we could say spiritual life, there can be no spiritual life in a believer without being sourced in the true light in God. There can be no true life spiritually that's apart from God. John chapter 1 and verse 4, John says, In him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. So John tells us that God is light, but he also tells us his relationship to darkness. Look at the last part of verse 5. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is the idea that, that God is separate or holy. 
Okay, and that's the basic idea of holiness. It just means that he is separated from. Okay, he's he's holy in the idea that that he is separate from his creation. He is different from us, right? There are some similarities that we have to him, but he is different. And he's also different from evil. He's also different from Satan. So that's the idea of holiness. God is separate. And John makes it clear. He says, there is no darkness. He could just stop right there. But instead, he says, at all. This is an emphatic statement that John is trying to make. In him, there's no darkness, not even one bit. So John gives the forceful affirmation of God's perfect character. And then in verses 6 through 10, he, he shows that that... The fact that God is light is the basis by which we can have light. And he says that true believers, in verses 6 and 7, reflect the light by avoiding darkness. Look at verse 6. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So, the first thing I want you to notice is that the test of spiritual life is not based primarily on what we say. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, we can say it all we want. But John says that is not the proof of your salvation. In fact, in verse 7 he says, he doesn't say he doesn't make it parallel. Notice we would expect him in verse seven to say, "But if we say something else, no." He skips that part and goes right to, "But if we walk in the light." So, what is the main way in which we can have proof of our spiritual life? By our words, or by our walk? John says it's pretty clear because a lot of people say that they have fellowship with God and yet they walk in darkness and when they walk in darkness it reveals that in fact they don't have fellowship with God do they and so John says if if you want to test for your spiritual life you need to look at your walk are you walking in darkness he gives us a negative example first in verse 6 he says a true believer will not walk in darkness you see if God is light and he is, verse 5, then those who walk in darkness are not walking with God. Why? Because in God, there is no darkness at all. Notice the standard for us is not an unbeliever. If you walk differently than an unbeliever, then you're walking in the light. That's not the standard. The standard is God. Are you walking in the light? Or are you walking in darkness? Which is it? John makes it simple for us. You see, we often compare ourselves to other people, and we say, well, I'm much better than them. I know a lot of worse things that they have done. And yet, God is saying, that's not the measuring stick for whether you're walking in the light. I am the light. Are you walking in me? Or are you walking in darkness? And... Although I didn't say it, I think you can understand here that darkness is obviously referring to sin, sinfulness, unrighteousness. And so, for a believer, we should not walk in darkness. It 
it is this idea of a continual pattern of life. We should not be heading down a road toward darkness. We should be heading down the road of righteousness. And so if you want to know if you are a believer, ask yourself the question, am I walking in darkness? Is my life patterned by a continual walk in unbelief and disobedience? The point here is that if you have believed, if you did receive that real spiritual birth certificate, then you will walk in the light. You will believe. If you have believed, you will believe. So then he gives us a result of claiming spirituality while living in sin. Notice at the end of verse 6. If well, I'll read the whole thing. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, what happens? We lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, John gives several results of what happens when we walk in darkness and we say something else. And the first one here, he says, we lie. This doesn't seem so bad, does it? We just lie to others. We are deceiving other people. We are trying to make them think that we are something different than we really are. So John says, you lie to others. But notice in verse 8, we'll get to this in a minute, but I want to show you the progression. Verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So first, we lie to others. Second, we are deceiving ourselves. You see, we can get so entrapped in our evil and trying to fool other people that we can even fool ourselves about our spiritual life. And then it heightens even more in verse 10 when John says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. How much worse can it get? Deceiving others, that's pretty bad, verse 6. Deceiving ourselves, that's terrible. But calling God a liar, that's blasphemy. And so John says, you need to make sure that the pattern of your life matches the words that you say. Matches the spiritual life that is in you. And, in, and then he says at the end of verse 6, we do not practice the truth. And there's also a progression there. Verse 6, we do not practice the truth. Verse 8, the truth is not in us. So first, we're not practicing it. Next, it's not even in us. And then verse 10, his word is not in us. We're not really a believer like we say we are. And so John says we need to avoid sin. We need to avoid it. And the way that we avoid sin is found in verse 7. A true believer will walk in the light. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we have this horizontal relationship that is the result if we walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another. That's the horizontal part. And then we also have a vertical part. There is cleansing from sin so that our relationship with God is clean. He says he cleanses us from the blood or with the blood of Jesus Christ from all sin. So 
if we have, what we would expect here is that, that John would say, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God. That's what we would expect him to say. But he actually takes it a step further and says, we will have fellowship with one another. So here's another way in which we can test to see if we have spiritual life. Do we have fellowship with one another? If we consistently have trouble fellowshipping with other believers who are walking in the light, then we should examine our own claim. Because John says, if we really walk in the light, we will have fellowship with others. And then the vertical response by God is that there will be cleansing from sin. And John's not saying that our walk produces cleansing. It simply, it simply uh, causes us to recognize our need for cleansing. When we walk in the light, God helps us to see what sin really is. He helps us to see who God is, who we are, and what sin is. And then as a response, we deal with it accordingly. So when we see this phrase, the blood of Jesus, we get to this phrase at the end of verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does John mean here? Did Jesus have some sort of supernatural blood, or was it just plain old blood like we have? Was it spiritual, or was it human? Because there are people who believe that Jesus had half divine blood and half human blood. There are people that believe that all of Jesus' blood was divine somehow. And it did some, some special cleansing. But I would suggest to you that, human, that, that John is referring to human blood. Jesus was, as John said in verses 1 through 4, he was fully human. He came in the flesh. And John says, not only have I seen him with my eyes, but I've also touched him. He's real. And this goes against those opposers who had said, who had said to, to these churches here in Asia Minor that, that, you know what, Jesus wasn't real, okay? He just looked like he was a person. He didn't really come in human flesh. Why? Because the human flesh is sinful, according to them. And John's saying, no, that's not the case. Jesus came in human flesh. He had real blood. And that blood that was shed... It's not like God kept vials of it and now he places it on your account somehow. Okay? All it is is a representation, just like the blood of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? It wasn't as if that blood was actually washed on the person. It was a representation of what had to happen because of our sin. Our sin is an offense to God and it must be paid for. And God requires that it is paid for through death. The Old Testament uh, people of Israel, uh, they understood this truth very clearly because they saw blood all the time as a result of their personal sin. Thankfully, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. And that is because we now have the representation of Jesus Christ's blood. It's been credited to our account and has washed away our sin. And John says this is not only something that once happened, but this is something that cleanses us. It's a continual cleansing us from all of our sin. And so John highlights both his humanness or his humanity 
and also his divinity by calling him his son, Jesus, his son. And this sin, John says, is not just a, a misunderstanding or a mistake, a little bit of ignorance. No, rather this sin is a wicked offense. It's willful rebellion. It's not as if I'm saying, you know what, I don't really understand, so give me, give me some more time. That's not what our sin is to God. Rather, it's a shaking of the fist in the face of God. No, I will not obey you. That is what our sin looks like to God, and it must be paid for. And John says that it's, it's not just one sin, it's not just the sins of the past, but it's all sin. Jesus' blood pays for it. So John says, if we are going to be a reflection of God's light, then we should not walk in darkness, but rather we should walk in the light, in the truth, in the moral goodness of God. And I kind of uh, look at it like the sun and the moon, kind of see ourselves as the moon. The moon doesn't give off its own light. Okay? It's not the source of light, is it? Rather, it's a reflection of the sun, the true light. And that's the way we are. We should reflect God's light. It's not that we generate our own light. We're not the source of truth and righteousness and holiness. God is. And so we should reflect the light because God is light. So not only should true believers reflect the light um, by, by exposing sin or by avoiding sin, but they should also do it by exposing sin. In verses 8 through 10, John says that the sin of, true believer, of a true believer is exposed by the light. And so he begins in verse 8, and we see that a true believer does not ignore darkness by claiming sinfulness or sinlessness. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is, is not in us. Verse 10. If we, ha if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he, there, there's a little bit of a progression here, but first he says, if we say we have no sin, in verse 8. Okay, that's a present tense. That, that means right now, as of now, I currently have no sin. And there is thinking in our day, as there I'm sure was in John's, that says that, you know what, we can make it to this higher level of living, of spiritual living, where we do not sin. In fact, John and Charles Wesley believed this. They taught this, this idea, that you could move to this higher level of spiritual life, where you could actually be without sin. Now, they still recognized that we still needed a, a payment for our past sin, but currently we could be without sin. John says, look at this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And so that cannot be true. And the problem is, is that we often think that man is inherently good. That, you know what, if you just look down deep enough, you'll find good in people. And as I said before, that sin is just a simply a mistake or, or a pardonable error. Oh, I understand. We, we think God would say, but, but it's not really that offensive to him, really, is it? I mean, we, we're not his enemies, are we? 
But we know from Romans chapter 8 and verses 6 through 8 that we were born with a sin nature. And God is opposed to sin. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so he must be approached by with light. We must reflect his light if we want to approach him. And the way that we do, through, do so is, is when we have Jesus Christ standing in our place. You see, on our own merit, our own sinfulness, we cannot stand before God, can we? We are opposed to God. In fact, Romans 8 says we are hostile toward God. And Psalm 5, 5 says that we are his enemy. God hates those who do iniquity. And so John says, if that is the type of thinking that you have in your mind, then you are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in you. And then he progresses in verse 10. We'll come back to verse 9. But he progresses and says, not only have we no sin in our lives right now, but we have not sinned. We've never sinned. That's the idea. Now, this is just a completely blatant, unrepentant, proud, unregenerate person who makes this claim, isn't it? How could someone say that they have not sinned? I mean, I, I hope, or, or I, I, I would guess that you've run into people like this. You've talked to these people, and you recognize that the first thing that you need to do for them is help them through the power of the Spirit to see their need of their own sin. Because they justify everything they do. Nothing I've done is really that wrong. I mean, when God sees my life, he's going to recognize that I'm, I'm a good person. And so I think that I know I've run into people like this that, that say I have not sinned. And look at, look at the, uh, the result of or the response that John has to those people. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's one thing to be a liar to others. It's one thing, it's pretty sad to lie to ourselves and deceive our own selves. But it's a whole other thing to call God a liar. And John says that his divine message, God's divine message, his true spiritual life that he would have granted to you was, is not there. You do not have spiritual life if you claim that you have not sinned. And so, as part of the second test, he says, the true believer does not ignore darkness by claiming sinlessness. But the other way that a believer reflects the light by exposing darkness is he confesses sin. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think most of you know that the idea of confess is, is basically to say the same thing as. Say the same thing as God. To call it what God calls it. Usually, when the word confession is used in the scriptures, it's usually referring to a confession of Christ, right? As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What, what does that mean, that, that you've confessed with your mouth. Well, you said the same thing about Jesus Christ that God did. That he is human. That he is divine. That he is the payment for our sins. That he demands 
for us to follow him. That's the idea of confession, to say the same thing as. And so our confession must be directed to God since we are the ones who made an offense to him. Sometimes, however, our sin requires restitution among our brothers or sisters in Christ. And so although um, at times we may have to do that sort of confession, the majority of the time it's usually sin that we've done in our own hearts. And so we need to confess it to God. We need to direct it to God. And what is the, the response by God based on? Notice, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous. God is faithful and righteous. The idea of faithfulness here is the idea of reliability, like we've been seeing in the book of Joshua. That he can be trusted. That he will do what he promised. So we can turn to him by confessing our sins. Justice here, that he is righteous or just, is that he acts in relationship to his holy nature. Now, we might ex expect John to say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. But instead, he says righteous, which is kind of odd because while God is indeed righteous, um, we have to recognize God's uh, uh, while God is merciful, I mean, we have to recognize God's righteousness. Since the forgiving of our sins is based on his justice, we can be sure that our sins will be cleansed. How can we be sure? Because we have not anything within ourselves to say before God, God, look at me and look what I've done. No. What does God look at when he, when he forgives our sins? John says, he is faithful he will do what he promised, and he promised to forgive you. But also, he is righteous. He is righteous. He bases your forgiveness not on what you've done, but on what Christ has done. And as a result, we can be sure that God will follow through on that promise. Because our, our respo or God's response to our sin is never based on what we have done. Oh, well, we've done a little bit of works to, to offset the, the bad things that we've done. No, God says, you know what? I look at your sin, I hate it, but I look at Jesus Christ standing in your place, and as a result, I forgive you. And not only does he forgive us, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We should not allow Satan or this world or our flesh to convince us that God is sulking up there over every sin that we've committed. It doesn't matter what sin you have committed. God forgives. Think of Rahab. What a terrible woman she was before God saved her. She doesn't have to keep worrying about all those sins. What, what must God think of me? And that's the amazing part of God using prostitutes in the scripture to show his mercy. You have Mary who washed Jesus' feet. You have Rahab. And God forgives sin. He remembers it no more. In fact, he says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And he does it based on our relationship 
to, to Jesus Christ. So we cannot allow past sin to paralyze us for present service. We often say, you know what, I can't do that because... And we, we actually become paralyzed because of some sort of sin that we had done in the past. And John says, no, confess it, and once you do, it's over. You don't have to keep on confessing that sin that you did a long time ago. God forgives. Do you believe him? Is he faithful? Is he righteous? Now, obviously, we should recognize the weight of our sin, but don't let it weigh you down to the point that, that we, we think that God's still hanging it over our head as if we're still his enemy. When God has changed us, when God has put us into the kingdom of his beloved son, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, obviously, the other, other alternative, rather than um, forgetting about this or uh, having this weigh down on us, is just to be careless about it. You know what? In fact, these, these uh, false teachers here in, in, in John's day were saying, you know what? The body is the one that does all the sin. The spirit doesn't, so you can do whatever you want. Just have fun, enjoy. And obviously John has already warned us about avoiding that. So not only should we uh, forgive, we should uh, recognize that God is going to forgive us because he is faithful, but also he cleanses us from sin. This is the second time he says that he cleanses us. Verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And then verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, forgiveness is needed because of our guilt. We have a sin nature, and we, before God we stand guilty. But we need cleansing because of our uncleanness, because of our sinfulness, because we are dirty. It cleanses us from the pollution of our sin. And so what, is, what this does is this restores the fellowship that we have with God. Between us and God, now we can, we, we can restore that fellowship that we once had. Why? Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so he must be approached in the light. We cannot approach him with our sin still laying on our account. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has already paid for those sins. Jesus Christ has already cleansed us from those sins. Even the sins that we are still committing, Jesus Christ's blood paid for those sins. And so we can have genuine fellowship with the Father. But John says, do not let your sins go unchecked. You must confess them. And as I said, the confession is not the source of our cleansing. Rather, it is the blood of Christ, verse 7. But the confession does make the application of Christ's blood possible. So if God knows about your sin and God will forgive your sin, don't hide it. You know, we, we often do this in relationships, don't we? we? We sin against a person, okay? And then what happens the next time we see that person? Do we want to talk to them and find out how their day went? And No, because we don't want that sin to come up between us. So what do we do? We avoid them. And that's the way it is with our relationship with God oftentimes, isn't it? 
When we sin against him, we know that we are harboring sin in our heart and we don't want to confess it. We enjoy it. And so it harms our relationship with God and John says, confess it. Put, put it out there on the table and God will forgive it. The more we grow in Christ, the more we hate sin. In other words, the more closely we reflect the light of God, the more darkness will be exposed. And so John says, if you want to, to know if you have spiritual life, then you need to not walk in darkness, walk in the light, but also you need to expose sin by confessing it. It's interesting how the more we grow in Christ, the more we hate sin. Did you ever notice that with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? He says, I am the least of the apostles. You see, he, he said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. But then in Ephesians chapter 3, later on in his life, he says, not only am I the least of the apostles, I'm the, least of, I'm the less than the least in, of all God's people, of all believers. I'm less than the least of all those. I don't even deserve to preach the unrich, unsearchable riches of Christ. But then at the end of his life, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. You see, the more we, the closer we get to the light, the more we see the darkness. We recognize how dark our sin really is. Paul at the beginning of life said, I was the least of the apostles. Then he says, I'm the least of all saints. Now I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners. Why? Because my sin is offensive to God. Now that I recognize more who God is and what my sin is to that holy God, now I recognize how much of a sinner I really am. And so a good indication of whether or not you have spiritual life is determined with, by how you deal with sin. Our problem is that we often ignore sin. We don't think about it. We don't want to address it. Our other problem is that we justify sin, which is much, much worse than ignoring it. Because we actually, what we do is we convince ourselves that our sin is okay and that we don't need to deal with it. It's not just that we're not dealing with it because we don't want to, but actually my sin is all right. I can continue to do it. You know why? It's not really that offensive to God. But sin must be dealt with. And the, uh, if we claim that we have a saving knowledge of God and our lives show no moral likeness, if we say we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, verse 6, then our claim is false. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. What are you doing right now? Are you believing is God doing a work in you right now? If our lives are marked by holiness, then we confirm our claim that, yes, indeed, God did save me. Now, I'm not here to cause you doubt about your salvation, but John is clear that if you want to check your spiritual pulse, you, you must be a reflector of the light. So do you reflect the light by avoiding darkness, or are you walking in sin? Do you reflect the light by exposing darkness? Or do you harbor it in your heart and neglect it? If your response to those questions are, 
or is, I'm not doing as much as I should. I think that's a good response because it shows that you have a heart that wants to turn towards God. But if your response to those questions is, I don't really need to, then that's a good indication that you are walking in darkness and that the truth was never in you. May God help us to reflect his character by avoiding and confessing sin. Let's, let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we pray with the hymn writer, and we are grateful um, for what you've done on our behalves. As we sang tonight, our sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. How could our sin be a glorious thought? But it's because our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise you, God. Praise you for what you have done. We praise you, and we are so thankful for how you have cleansed us from all sin, not only in our salvation, but you continually cleanse us so that we can stand before you righteously on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to, to deal with sin as we should. Not so that we can have assurance of salvation, because, but because you hate sin. And because we love you, help us to show our love by obeying your commandments and walking in the light. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, whom we love. Amen. Let's stand and sing.